Please, Lord, don't punish me when you are angry. Don't discipline me when you are furious. Have mercy on me, Lord, because I'm frail. Heal me, Lord, because my bones are shaking in terror. My whole body is completely terrified, but you, Lord, how long will this last? Come back to me, Lord, deliver me. Save me for the sake of your faithful love. No one is going to praise you when they're dead. Who gives you thanks from the grave? I'm worn out from groaning. Every night I drench my bed with tears. I soak my couch all the way through. My vision fails because of my grief. It's weak because of all my distress. Get away from me, all you evildoers, because the Lord has heard me crying. The Lord has listened to my request. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and completely terrified. They will be defeated and ashamed instantly. I really, you know, uh, Katie sent me Marcus's uh, song earlier in the week, and I had a chance to listen to it before today. And I was really struck by the depth of the feeling um, in the song, and I really loved the song. And I noticed, though, um, as I was preparing for the sermon, that um, I was taking things in a slightly different direction. But maybe we'll see that hopefully uh, things will come together in a way, um, the way that the way, sort of the sadness and sort of the forlornness and the lostness that we saw in Marcus's song and some of the things that may seem a little bit ancillary to you that I noticed in our psalm today. Now, as we come out of a continuing pandemic, well, I guess we haven't really come out of it. We're still in the midst of it. Um, 1,500 people, Americans are dying each day. And as we come out of continuing tragedies that um, bring up very difficult issues about race in our country and about how we can be a country in which we live in harmony and live with one another. Um, I bring to you this psalm today in the hopes that not that this will necessarily solve all of our problems or answer all of our questions, but that it may show us a way to pray and to bring our problems to God. Now, Psalm 6 is the psalm, uh, the psalm or a song, I guess, of an afflicted person. I am languishing, they say. Heal me, they implore. Now, maybe the psalmist is sick, as many commentators have suggested. Terror defines their current state. And their desperation is encapsulated in a well-known two-word cry, how long? This psalmist appears to believe that they ended up in their state because of God's anger. It's God's discipline that now afflicts them. Now, this sounds like a problem to me. Do people suffer because of God's wrath then? Is sickness and affliction a sign of divine anger? Is it a way of punishing us for our sins? The psalm is short, as you can tell, but I think it is challenging because it almost seems too simplistic. God punishes me, so I ask for mercy, and then God hears me and then rebukes my enemies. There seems to be so little context and so little nuance in its content. 
And so when I read the psalm, I'm always tempted to imagine the first seven verses accompanied by music in a minor key. And this suddenly turns to a major key without warning on verse eight. Why should the psalmist be vindicated? Maybe I'm being a little bit too cynical here, but I simply have a hard time accepting that the psalmist's appeal to God, accompanied by profuse, uh, profuse weeping, somehow is a sufficient condition for vindication over the psalmist's enemies. Now, let's pause here for a moment, though, and ask, has the psalmist been vindicated? Who is speaking in these last three verses? The last three verses are still being spoken by the psalmist. It's not God speaking here. And the psalmist is asserting that the Lord has heard. The Lord accepts my prayer. Yes, there's a conviction here that the Lord has indeed heeded the cries and appeals of the psalmist. At the same time, though, Note that the psalmist doesn't actually describe God's response. All my enemies shall be ashamed and struck with terror. They shall turn back. Note the voice here. The psalmist doesn't say the Lord will shame and strike or something along those lines. There are other psalms that are clear about what God will certainly do, how God will make short work of the enemies of the faithful. But this psalm is different. These final verses are an expression of the psalmist's hope. One might even venture to say that is a muted doxology at the end of a prayer. It's an expression of faith in a God who hears. Now, I mentioned earlier that this song uh, seems to be without context, but this psalm is attributed to David, the king. And so we're to imagine then that this psalm is being spoken in David's voice. David was king, and as king, he had many enemies. He was hunted by Saul, the former king, the disgraced king. He was fighting the Philistines all the time. And he was finally rebelled against by his own son, Absalom. When we think about enemies, maybe we have this tendency to imagine some separate other, right? Someone who's out there. But sometimes workers of evil plotted the king's demise from within his own inner circle. I don't know if you remember this, but Absalom's rebellion against David was made possible by a conspiracy with someone named Ahithophel, who was one of the king's most trusted counselors. We're told that his counsel was as if one consulted the oracle of God. So all the counsel of Ahithophel was esteemed both by David and by Absalom. This is from 2 Samuel, chapter 16, verse 23. But on the other hand, I'm also reminded of another king, one of David's descendants, King Hezekiah. Hezekiah was at war with Assyria, the most powerful empire in the Middle East at the time. But the king himself falls ill, and the prophet Isaiah tells him he was going to die. Meanwhile, the Assyrians remain a threat to Jerusalem. So was the king going to perish? And were the Assyrians going to use that opportunity to take Jerusalem? Hezekiah, weeping bitterly, implores God, Remember now, O Lord, uh, I have walked before you in faithfulness with a whole heart 
and have done what is good in your sight. So both from within and from without, there were people who wished for the demise of the king. And I think this speaks to something very real in the human experience. Um, most of us might not be kings, but we nevertheless live in a world often defined by competition. I used to work in the entertainment industry in Tokyo, and there was a constant reminder that resources and opportunities are limited. If our company didn't assert its presence in the field, others would happily take its place. If we couldn't negotiate good prices, that meant less money for the company, which meant less staff, pay, or resources for the artists in our company, and less possibility of upwards mobility. If one showed weakness, like for example, being too ill too often or being quote unquote susceptible to maternity leave, then that person became more vulnerable to being let go. It gave the company a reason to, to push that person out. This psalm then gives voice to those living under the pressure of real life in a competitive and political society. And often people do wish to exploit our moments of weakness. We're often tasked with proving to people that we're somehow uniquely qualified to do our work. But what I find to be very striking about Psalm 6, though, is the reason it gives for why God should save the psalmist's life is this. For in death, there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who can give you praise? As a psalm of David, the psalm doesn't point to the king's work of administration or waging war or protecting his people. It points to a vocation of giving praise to God. The psalmist, in other words, is suggesting that humans are fundamentally doxological creatures. In the words of Orthodox priest and scholar Alexander Schmemann, in the Bible, to bless God is not a religious or a cultic act, but the very way of life. God blessed the world, blessed man, blessed time. And this means that he filled all that exists with his love and goodness. So the only natural reaction of man to whom God gave this blessed and sanctified world is to bless God in return, to thank him, to see the world as God sees it. And in this act of gratitude and adoration, to know, name, and possess the world. Shmemen with the psalmist reminds us that human beings are at their core priests of a cosmic sacrament. Kings are no exception. As one who stands over an entire people, his first and foremost obligation is to give praise. Now, my esteemed Hebrew professor, Dr. Ellen Davis, reminds readers of the psalms that a hallmark of these poems is their theocentricity. God, in other words, is at the center of these people's worlds. Psalm 6 is a prayer. I want to return to the first question that I raised. Now, what do we make of the psalmist's seeming belief that God is punishing him with illness? Note first, the psalmist does not say that he's being rebuked or disciplined, quote-unquote, for his sins. That's not part of the text here. The psalmist doesn't start from some ethical theory in which God punishes individuals according to the bad things they do. He begins from a God-centered world and seeing his own affliction, he assumes 
that God must somehow be involved with it. The psalmist acknowledges that we already live within God's wrath and judgment. We read a couple of weeks ago in Psalm 90, which says, All our days pass away under your wrath. Our years come to an end like a sigh. When we think of wrath, it's easy to think about someone ticking God off and God responding in anger. But God's wrath in this sense is almost like a state of being. The unfortunate truth that lies behind a fallen and a broken world. Again, I find Schmemann helpful here. As he explains, the world is a fallen world because it has fallen away from the awareness that God is all in all. But if God is indeed all in all, then it becomes possible to pray for healing and salvation, to trust that God will hear and to hope that God will deliver. Now, Lent is a season that reminds us of loss, but that loss is part of a way leading to Christ's passion and resurrection. Our loss in Lent is an invitation to draw closer to God. In Psalm 6, the psalmist turns to God to express his grievances and to hope for his deliverance. Shuv, or turn, is one of the Hebrew terms informing our understanding of repentance. In turning to God, the psalmist appeals for God to turn to him and for his enemies also to Yeshuvu or to turn back. There is a vision here for restored communion. And in a world in which God is not acknowledged, Psalm 6 teaches how to turn and to pray. Perhaps it once taught kings to pray in the way of David, who was called the anointed of the God of Jacob, the favorite of the strong one of Israel. Maybe it is the prayer of an ideal king. I'm reminded of Jesus' own prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. He begins, my soul is deeply grieved, even to the point of death, and goes on, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, but not what I want, but what you want. Over this past week, I've been recalling the losses of the past, lost time, lost innocence, lost love, lost trust, lost friendships, lost opportunities. As we recall those people that we may have lost or anything else that we have lost, my hope is that the Psalms teach us how to pray, to implore God that God may give us life, a life that brings glory to the name of the God of heaven. We pray with me, friends. Heavenly Father, we come to you just as we are, and we trust that you accept us just as we are. Lord, in whatever state that we are in today, I pray that you have a word to speak into our hearts and our minds. For Lord, in this, Lord, in this world, we're very lonely. Although we have experiences of connection, and we have experiences of community, Fundamentally, we are reminded, Lord, in this season that from dust we have come and to dust we shall return. Lord, I pray that though living with love in this world is also coming to terms with a life of loss, 
We pray that you, it is you who have given us these things in the first place. And our point of return is you yourself. Lord, continue to guide us. Teach us how to pray to you. For even in our affliction, Lord, we, we may still come to you and we may still cry to you, Abba, Father. Lord, we thank you for the prayers that these psalmists have given us. We thank you for the prayers that Jesus has taught us. For through these, we may realize, and through the loss that we experience in our life, we realize that um, our life uh, our life is part of yours, Lord. Our life belongs to you, and this world belongs to you. Let us not separate our life in this world and our own lives from your divine reality, Lord. But let us acknowledge our connect interconnectedness within that and so lord let us pray for our enemies as well let's pray for those who seek harm to us let us let us hold intention to hope for both justice and for these enemies of ours to turn and though they may be ashamed that they may be restoring communion to you and that we may be restoring communion to you as well we thank you for all that you have shown us. We thank you for giving us your son, Jesus Christ, for his passion and for his resurrection, that we may experience our communion with you. These things we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.